Hi, and welcome to Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Charity. So today we're going to pick back up about Joseph, and we're going to talk about um, the latter half of his life and his relationship with God and the hardships that he went through and how God used those to build character into Joseph. So as we left off last time, Joseph had been promoted after telling Pharaoh what his dream meant. God had given him the interpretation of his dream. There would be seven years of bountiful crops, followed by seven years of famine in Egypt. And God had done this. um, God never does anything for a singular purpose, you know? I always find it's always multifaceted. So, In this case, though, he's using it also to spare Joseph's family. So the first couple years after the bountiful years came and they had stored all that grain, it says that there began to be kind of almost like what we call a recession. Uh, My husband makes a, a joke about the difference between recession and depression, which recession means your neighbor lost their job. And a depression means you lost your job. And in this case, it kind of fits the definition in that Egypt didn't feel it at first, even though their crops were less, but everywhere around them definitely did. And so people began to come into Egypt. And it says two years in, the people came to Pharaoh and said, we're starving. What do we need to do? And he sent them over to see Joseph and Joseph sold them grain. Well, because this is happening and there's food there, everyone else knows about it. And so Jacob hears about it and they're starving. And he tells his sons, it's kind of funny the way it reads. Uh, By the way, today is going to be coming from Genesis chapter 42 all the way to 50. So I do highly recommend you read it. Um, Hopefully it'll just wet your whistle. So you want to get in and see all the nitty gritty and all the details because there's so much more. So they go in and it says that, that Jacob tells his sons, his boys, what are you just standing here looking at each other? Go down and get us some food before we starve to death. <laughs> so the 10 sons, the 10 oldest, load up their donkeys and their money. They grab their money and they go down to Egypt. Well, because, they, because Joseph is the governor And he's handling all the grain. If anybody wants any grain, they have to go through him. So they go and they see him and they're trying to bargain to buy some grain. And he sees them and he recognizes them right off. But they don't recognize him. It's been so long. He was a teenager when they sold him. And he's become a full-grown man. And culturally, he's Egyptian. He's dressed like the Egyptians. He shaves his head, got the cool eyeliner. Um, you know, he's got, he's, he totally looks Egyptian. So as he's speaking to these guys, he's like, and he's speaking through an interpreter, just so you know, it's just kind of cool. Cause he's getting Intel and he doesn't have to tip his hand. So, you know, sometimes you get a lot more information. Um, if people don't know everything, you, that familiarity is removed. You get to kind of put on a different hat. So He's coming to them with the hat of, I'm the governor, and I'm a powerful dude, and I have the power to cripple your life. <laughs> so 
Because if he was Joseph, honestly, if they knew that, if there was still that familiarity, they would have just probably stepped on him like they did before, you know, the, the annoying little brother. So he comes to them and he says, I think you're spies. You came here to see how vulnerable our land is. You came here to make trouble. And they were like, no, no, we swear, we swear. We're honest guys. We're honest men. And they're like, no. He's like, I think you're spies. What are you guys doing here? And they were like, oh, no, we promise. We're all from the same family. And he's like, how, how on earth are you from the same family? I don't think so. You're lying. You're spies. So then they, um, they're like, honest, there's 12 of us. We all come from the same dad. And he's like, well, then where are the other two? And they're like, well, one is no longer with us. And the other is much younger. And so he's home with our dad. And so he's pumping him for information about dad, too. And he's like, your dad's still alive? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know. And he's like, hmm. He's like, well, I don't believe you. I think you're all spies. I am going to imprison you. And you can send one person home to get your brother. And if he comes back with you, then we can trade freely. Which you got to understand, this is like a, this is a real, like, you could really, really benefit or you could really, really perish from this decision um, because Egypt is the only place that's got food right now. And so if you can't trade freely, essentially you're being relegated to starvation. So after three days of this, he goes, you know what? I'll tell you what, you choose one of your brothers and he'll stay here in prison and the rest of you can take your brain and go. But if you never come, if you ever want to come back here, if you ever want food, then you're going to have to bring your little brother, Benjamin. Otherwise, don't even show up before my face again. And he was like, even like, Joseph's like, I swear on the life of the Pharaoh. Like, you know, you know, those people are like, I swear on my mama, you know. So that's kind of the equivalent. I swear on Pharaoh. He's like, if I ever see you again and you don't bring your brother, you are dead. You know, that kind of thing. So. He like takes Simeon. I don't know why he chose some. No one says why he chose Simeon, but he chose Simeon and he tied him up right in front of them. So that way they knew like he means business. So he like gave them their stuff and sent them on their way. So they go and leave. Poor Simeon. He's in jail this whole time, right? So they go home and they have to like on their way home that night, they stop and they're feeding the donkeys. And one of the brothers opens his pack and he finds his money on top. And then all the other bro brothers open their bags and find their money. And they're like, oh my gosh, the Pharaoh's going to say we stole from him. Oh my gosh. We are just being punished for what we did, you know? And, and that was another thing they said in jail, like before an interpreter, like before he tied up Simeon. They're like arguing about who it's going to be. And they're like, this is our punishment. This is what we get for what we did to Joseph. And they don't know Joseph can understand. But Joseph like kind of turns his back and kind of like cries a little bit. His eyeliner began to ran, run, I bet you. Anyways, so I digress. We go back to the, he sends, sent them on their way. And so that night when they open it and they're like terrified that they're going to be accused of stealing they're just like panicked. So then they go home the next day and they tell their dad what happened. And they're in Canaan, by the way, that's the land they're in. Um, so they go back and tell him what happened, why Simeon's not there, that he's being held prisoner and that they need to get Benjamin and take him back. 
And Ruben's like, even like, I'll totally vouch and go get Simeon. He's like, you could kill my two sons if I don't come back with him, which is like, woof, that's harsh. And Jacob's like, no way. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, first I lost one son and now the other, like, is, am I being punished for something? Are my, my sons are being taken one by one. He's like someone, you know, like basically this is going to kill an old man. I cannot believe this. And he's like in there, it talks about how this is Benjamin is the son of my old age. Um, and there's kind of an implication there, like at least as, as I read it, you know, as when we're parents, we become parents and our kids are young versus when we have kids when we're older, there's a different appreciation that we have for our children. Not that uh, we don't love them or appreciate them when they're younger, but I think we're less patient and more scared. And, you know, it's just like why you see when people become grandparents, people who become grandparents, I'm, I'm sure any of you could look at your parents, if they're grandparents, and look at them and say, those are not the same people that raised me. I swear. I looked at my parents. My, my parents are great grandparents. Um, they're, they're good grandparents. But uh, the stuff that they would let, that they would do for my kids or let my kids do sometimes, I'm like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> it happens to everybody. So, but it shows us, um, the, the comment there shows kind of this appreciation that he has for Benjamin in his older age. So he's heartbroken and he like flat out refuses to send Benjamin and poor Simeon is sitting in prison this whole time. Like, doesn't anybody care about poor Simeon? Just my side note, I guess my side quest where my brain goes. So, but they finally get to like the end of their grain. They're going to run out and they have no other way to get food. And so Jacob tells them, go back and get some more food. And they're like, dude, have you forgotten? Like, this guy was serious. If we don't come back with Benjamin, like, we can't go back. There is no more food for us. There is no other way. And, of course, Jacob is, like, heartbroken about it. And he's like, again, like, I'm going to lose my kids one by one. I cannot believe this. And Judah says to him, Basically, I vouch personal responsibility. I will make sure he comes back to you safely. And he was like, fine. He's like, but Jacob tells him, he says, you know what? You probably bring back twice the money. Bring the money that you were supposed to give him last time. So they don't accuse you of stealing. Bring money this time. And let's send a bunch of gifts to that guy, to that governor. Let's see if we could you know, sweet talk him. And so bring him all of the fine stuff that we have in our area. So he sent them with balms and honey, gum, aromatic resins, pistachios, almonds, like all of these things that they had in their area, he sent them so that they would trade and hopefully have favor, you know? So they show up and when they do, they're back and like, Joseph says, hey, he tells his butler, bring him to my house. We're going to have a feast. And so he sets him up and has him like, you know, kill an animal for him and, and cook it. And he meets him at lunch. Basically, we're going to have lunch together. Well, when the brothers show up at 
Joseph's house. Like he lives in a in a legit mansion. And these are these are simple sheep herders. These are little, you know, they're nomadic kind of guys that move their tent from place to place or you know, they have kind of a mainstay where they're at, but they go and they take the sheep everywhere. They live in the fields and the ground. So now they're in this opulent house and they're terrified. And they go and they tell the butler, like, he tried, like one of the brothers tries to return money. He's like, dude, we did not try to steal from you. We don't want there to be a misunderstanding. Like they're, they're thinking they're getting, they're going there to get killed. And the butler just tells him, nah, don't worry about that. Like, you don't have anything to be afraid of. And they return Simeon back to them. So they're sitting there waiting for Joseph to come back. And when Joseph come, comes back, he sees him and kind of like still he's got his like poker face on, you know. And he says, he sees him and he gives him a look and he's like, okay. You know, like basically we're good to make trade. But he sees Benjamin especially. And he gives them all a blessing, but he puts a blessing on Benjamin, you know, may God bless you five times more, you know? Um, and when he sees him, he kind of has this moment. He kind of breaks down. Like he talks to him quickly and leaves the room. And he says he goes into another room and he kind of just secretly quietly sobs. Like he can't believe he's seen his brother, you know, he's so like, so glad to see he's well, he's okay. So they have this meal and it's kind of fun to see the cultures and customs in the middle of this. Um, they're all in the same room, but it's like Joseph has his own table and the Egyptians that are with that, like eat with him or that um, dine with him normally, they have their own table. And then these yucky sheep herders have their own table. And um, Joseph serves them from his table. It says this is they pass the food over. Um, so just kind of some interesting cultural things. The Egyptians, as I've been reading, it, I guess they found the uh, sheep to be a sheep herder was a very despicable thing. It was very dirty. You know, here's a very uh, cleanly conscious uh, culture. And here are these sheep herders that, you know, live out in the ground and with the sheep and are unshaven. You know, think like 196 or 19, well, 60s kind of hippie, you know, that's kind of the sheep herders. And then we've got like this like super ultra, like, uh, I guess would be modern day kind of plastic surgery almost and bathing and, uh, or maybe if any of you are familiar with like kind of the Korean, like beauty culture, very, very, uh, clean, uh, very into their regiments, you know, uh, sitting next to each other is probably not, ideal for the Egyptians. <laughs> um, so that's kind of give you an idea of the culture stuff that goes with it. So they came and that evening they were able to, they, they dined and he sent them on their way. He gave them all their grain and returned their money. And he also told his butler this time, the shenanigan is, he's got this whole charade that he plays. Um, is he puts this, he makes them put this silver cup into Benjamin's, um, into his sack. Also, cool other side tidbit, when when Joseph sat them to eat, he sat them by age. Which, if you think about it, these guys are strangers to him, as far as they know. 
And they all are going to be roughly around the same age. They'll be staggered a little bit. But as adults, you can't tell if someone's 42 and the next one's 43 and the other one's 40. You know, they're all going to be pretty close. But they were kind of amazed. Like Joseph sat them all in order from oldest to youngest. Um, That's like inside info. (laughs) So anyways, as they go to leave, Joseph tells him, put this silver cup into Benjamin's bag and then let him get to the edge of town and then chase him down and tell him they stole it. So he's testing him again, you know. So this cup, too, is kind of a special, like, I guess there would be a religious cup. It doesn't say that Joseph necessarily participates in that kind of thing, but I guess kind of like the way, like, you see some cultures read tea leaves and stuff like that. It's not just like a cup for drinking, but it shows like culturally it shows importance. And if he were Egyptian and participated in like the sun worship and some of the other stuff, I guess that's it. That would be used for. So he, the butler lets him go and chases him down and they take him, you know, they, they open the bags. And I love this, like, we see this a lot. A lot of us, you know, we can get upset and in a moment we open our mouth and there are consequences that come with it before we even really know what the outcome would be. We're just so sure that it's going to be a certain way and maybe it's not. So they chase him down, accuse him of stealing. And so one of the brothers says, I'll tell you what, he said, we didn't steal anything from you. We're not those kind of people. We're not stealers. (laughs) So he said, if anybody has the cup, let him die. And then the rest of us will be your slaves. And the butler's like, fair enough. But I'll tell you what, just the one person can be the, you know, can be our slave. So they take him, they, they take and they open the sacks from oldest to youngest. Finally, they get to Benjamin's and Benjamin's has the cup in it. Well, now all of a sudden the boys are really upset because the one contingent for them coming down there was to ensure Benjamin's safety. Like for sure. They're like, we got to make sure he gets back. And so they're like all upset. So then they're going to go back to uh, Joseph's house and they're going to try and plead the case. They're all offering to be slaves or whatever, but they got to send, they've got to send Benjamin back. So when they send him, when they go before Joseph, finally uh, Judah steps up. And this is kind of, it shows you some some leadership skills. He already vouched to be responsible. And so he just lays everything out to Joseph. He's like, look, here's the deal. This guy is the only one left of this mother. Like our, our dad has like four wives and he is the only one left. The older brother is no longer with us and he is the last one. And if we don't come back with him, this is going to kill our dad. This is going to finish him for sure. He's like, please, we'll stay. We'll be your slaves. We'll do anything you want, but we've got to get Benjamin back to his dad. This just cannot happen. And Joseph finally, like, he finally gets upset. He's like starting to crack, right? So he sends out all of his attendants from the room and is just left with the brothers. And he finally starts to cry and he tells them, he says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother too. He said, 
don't be afraid. And he has to like call him into him like twice. And like the wailing that goes on in the room is so loud that, uh, you know, nothing travels quicker than a rumor for sure or gossip. So it said the wailing was so loud that the news reached the Pharaoh's house very quickly. <laughs> so he goes and he is running and telling his you know, they're going and telling, you know, something's going on at Joseph's house. So Joseph tells them, he says, look, don't be afraid. Like, I have no guile. I have no malice toward you. I know that you guys sold me or you think you did, but I want you to know. And this is in uh, 45, like three through eight, especially worth really getting and reading. But he tells them, he's like, you know, God allowed me to go through all of this. God put me in this position. I went through what I went through so that I could help save our family. And so they, as this happens, they have this nice reunion and he sends them back and he tells them, go and get dad. This famine is going to last for five more years. And so that's why I'm here. So tell dad to come back, bring everybody and come and settle here for a while. And then Pharaoh, because we know this gossip spread, you know, Joseph goes before him and lets him know what happened. And he, Pharaoh also invites him to bring his family. He said, of course, bring your family here, have them come, have them stay. And the Pharaoh also sent carts and chariots um, well, wagons so that they could bring back like the little kids and the pregnant ladies and people that can't really walk that far of a distance for that long. And so he sent back all kinds of provisions with them. And he said, tell dad. So they go back and they tell him. And Joseph, you know, he was successful in relaying and Jacob packs up the whole household, everybody that he has. He also sends back gifts. He sends back changes of clothes for his brothers. He gave five changes of clothes though to Benjamin and he sent them back bringing, you know, their dad back with all of the stuff. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I'm talking in circles. Let me take a breath. Okay. So Joseph packs up his whole household, or Jacob, Jacob, Israel, packs up his whole household, and they all return. And as they're coming back, Jacob sends um, Judah ahead and says, go meet Joseph and find out where we're supposed to go. So he sends him over to the landing of Goshen, which is when we see, it's kind of on the outskirts of where the pharaohs live. And this will come into play later when you read like through um, the story of Moses. You see that like all the plagues hit Egypt, but they don't hit Goshen, which is kind of on the outskirts. It's kind of this outside area. And now remember, we also said that there was this kind of, um, you know, the, the Egypts didn't really care for sheep herders. Like they're kind of dirty. Um, so Joseph goes and meets his dad and they cry. They have this beautiful reunion and he takes them over to Goshen and he settles them in and he kind of takes all, he has a meeting of the council. Essentially he, he meets all his brothers and he says, you're going to meet the Pharaoh. And when you do, 
remember, you know, the like basically kind of gives them the cultural insight. And it's kind of cool. There's this really neat parallel of it's like a mirroring of Jesus, you know, because Jesus came here for us to save us. And then it says he goes and prepares a place for us. And we see this mirroring happening where Joseph goes through all this hardship. He's promoted and he's in a place where he's able to intercede for his family, just like Jesus does for us. And then he goes and prepares this place for his family to be. And so it's kind of the same mirroring. It's, it's, I just, I like the imagery of it, I guess. Um, I hope you all read it and maybe you can see if you, you see that or, or not. And that's okay too. Um, so anyways, they go and he says, when you go before the Pharaoh and he asks you what your occupation is, tell him, tell him you're sheep herders and that you, that's, you come from a long line of sheep herders. And so because of that, they go through, you know, he could have asked for a position in the council and he didn't. Um, there could have been a lot more trouble come out of that too. <laughs> Anyways, Pharaoh meets with them. And he gives them the land of Goshen. He gives them that area to go and settle. So they're they're saved. And they're able to live out there and spread out and be comfortable. And as this famine wears on, we see that people, what's really interesting about this is the people are starving. And so this next year as they come in, Joseph says, I'll trade you livestock, animals, for food. And really like sometimes like if you first read it, you're like, dang, that's kind of harsh. But actually he's kind of doing them a favor in the sense that they've got to, you know, there's a responsibility for Joseph to keep these animals alive. Cause this is like trading in tractor equipment like we have now and trucks and things like that too. It's not just people had animals just for food, but also that's like how they kept their agricultural uh, areas alive. So then after that, the next year, these people are still starving. They, you know, they were fed through the year, but then they didn't have anything left after money and after the animals. And so they said, can we sell our land back? Can we be servants? And so they did. And so everybody except for the priests in the land who were already given an allotment of food, they kept their own land. Everybody else, all the land became the pharaohs, which is like crazy to think about. It's such a, a consolidation of power, um, except the people, except for Joseph's family. They were able to live off the land out in Goshen and do okay. And they, they did well out there. So we see this happens. It's kind of interesting. And so you see the consolidation of power, but the, this, because it elevates the Pharaoh's house, because Joseph was so um, responsible with what he was given, um, it elevated his boss too. And um, his family did well because God blessed them to do that way. And, and you see both in Genesis 45, three through eight, and Genesis 19 through 21, 
Joseph acknowledges that it's God that put him there, that it's God that blessed him. And further, as we read in in Genesis 50, I'm going to skip a little bit over the one chapter where um, Jacob dies. So Jacob, when he was on his way from Canaan to live in Goshen, God visited with him in Beersheba and basically told him that I'm blessing you, I'm in this, and you're going to see your son Joseph again, and your people will come back to Canaan, but you will die in Egypt. Like, this will be the last of your days. And so the the chapter that we skip over is like the blessings that, um, that, that Israel gives to his sons when he dies. So it's, it's an interesting read. I'm just not going to get into it too much today. I will talk a little bit about it in tidbits. Um, so just a piece of it. But um, he was told that that's where he was supposed to be. And so as Jacob lives out the rest of his, lives there, his life there, he's very happy. Um, he does die. He does pass away in Egypt. He does call Joseph and make, tells him, I need you to make me a solemn oath. There's only one thing I need you to promise me is that when I die, you will bury me with my dad and my grandpa. And they have like property in Canaan. He's like, okay, I will. So when he passes away, they go and they have this huge funeral for him. They embalm him. They, they, it's kind of funny. The burial process they use is the Egyptian uh, burial process. And the next point I'm bringing up is just to kind of finish showing off Joseph's character, which is really neat, is after the funeral, all of his brothers get real nervous. And they're like, now that dad's gone, who's keeping you from being like uh, taking out your revenge on us? And so in that, at that time, we see that Joseph tells him, you don't have a thing to worry about. I have no malice towards you. God was the one that put us here. He put me through all the things I went through. Not really you. Um, And in some ways, it's kind of a, I think a nice way to think about it is you're not that big. God is, you know? Um, But he tells him, he says, you know, God was the one that blessed us so that we could stay here. I have, I have no uh, intent to hurt you or harm you. Um, and that was all God's doing. But even then, through, through all of this, you see his brothers are nervous, but it still shows the relationship he has with God. He knows who God is and how big God is and the closeness that it brought him with God, even through all the hardships, you know? And I, I think... Over the last couple years, I think the biggest nugget for me, like even reading this, but in my life as well, is that God's goodness is not determined or based on the conditions that our life is, you know, our circumstances. His goodness is there because he's good, even if it doesn't feel like it for us at the time. So... Anyways, I hope you've enjoyed this time together. Um, I will bring you a small tidbit. And um, I look forward to listening or to hanging out with you guys again.
Today on Tidbits, we are going to be solving a math problem. So we know that Israel had 12 sons. And if you're new, hang out. Hopefully you can catch this ride. <laughs> but we're going to do a little bit of a math problem. So we know there are 12 tribes of Israel. But also of those 12 tribes, the Levites became the priestly household. So they did not get their own settlement, but settled within each of the 12 settlements. So how do we end up with 13? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so the one chapter I kind of skipped in, the, in um, Genesis where Israel is giving his blessings in the 40s, I think it's like chapter like 47 or something like that. Um, so where Israel starts to give his blessings to everybody, when Joseph goes to see him, he gives heritage or lineage to Joseph's children, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so they, in some ways, kind of take the stead of Joseph. They carry on Joseph's name that way or lineage that way, but by being in equal standing with their uncles. So he goes and gives them the blessing. And so when the 12 tribes of Israel settle, Manasseh gets its own settlement, and so does Ephraim. And the Levites, all because they're the priestly household, settle within each of the 12 uh, settlements. So the other cool side note about that, since we're kind of talking about the younger siblings, is that when Joseph goes to see his dad and he's giving this blessing, the one thing he does is we know that in a lot of, a lot of cultures, um, and a lot of it has to do with like how land is passed and things like that, the older sibling or the oldest son especially um, receives favor in their inheritance. Sometimes all of it in some cultures, sometimes, you know, just a bigger portion, things like that. And there's responsibility that comes with that. But as we know, Israel is a younger brother. He was a twin and he was born second and God blessed him. And so I don't know if God just kind of spoke to his heart about their personalities or if it was just a soft spot that he had. No, you know, it's anybody's guess. It's all conjecture at that point. But it was kind of interesting. As he went to give the blessing, Joseph put um, Manasseh on Israel's right-hand side because, you know, the right-hand man, that's where the things come from. Um, that's why, you know, we, a lot of times we do deals on a, on a handshake done with your right hand. Um, and then he put Ephraim on the, on the left-hand side. And so as Jacob went to give the blessing to the sons, he crossed his hands and put his hands on their heads because they're sitting at his knees. And he put his right hand on Ephraim and his left on Manasseh. And he starts to pray the blessing over them. And then Joseph kind of stops him like, like maybe dad's a little senile or sick or, you know, let me help you out. And he's like, you know, that that's, you know, that Ephraim's the younger, not the older. He goes, I know. <laughs> and as he continues his blessing, he says, you know, basically people will give blessings one day and say, you're blessed like Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said Ephraim's name's first again. So it was kind of funny, kind of a funny little tidbit. 
also. So I guess it's a double tidbit for today. Anyways, I have enjoyed hanging out with you um, and I look forward to visiting with you again. I hope you have a blessed day.